0: Last week, we kicked off this teaching series, Founding Father, examining the life of Abraham. Abraham, who is the founding father spiritually, the founding father biologically and genetically of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Because if ever there was a life worth examining, a life worth looking at, and mining for principles and practices of how to interact with, how to relate, how to collaborate in a life of purpose and meaning with God. It was Abraham. It's a fascinating story, a fascinating study. And today, we pick up the narrative in Genesis chapter 15, at a moment in Abraham's life that probably is going to surprise at least some of us. But whether or not it surprises you or not, it absolutely holds within this story, within this narrative, the power to encourage, the power to literally empower all of us, surprised or not. Because today we pick up the story of Abraham and discover in his life, and by the way for ours as well, the power of doubt, the power of doubt, one of the amazing things about a life lived in relationship with God is that in God's economy, the the engine of faith, if you will, is frequently, I don't mean sometimes in isolated instances, I mean frequently fueled by the fire of doubt in 1999. Gallup released a list of the most admired people of the 20th century, and near the top of this list were names that you would expect, the giants of history, Albert Einstein, John F. Kennedy Jr., Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., on and on the list goes. But interestingly enough, at the very top of the list, number one with a bullet, amongst all of these giants of history was a diminutive, barely five-foot-tall Albanian nun that you and I know as Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa began her ministry teaching school in the slums of Calcutta. But in 1948, she established the Charities of Christian Mission to serve the poorest of the poor, these outcasts on the streets of Calcutta in 1979. She won the Nobel Peace Prize, and she was listed as the most admired person of the entire 20th century. But it might surprise you to learn that this life of Christian faithfulness and service, Mother Teresa herself was marked by crippling periods, crippling seasons of personal and spiritual doubt. In a book that was published after her death, the book was published in 2007, Mother Teresa confessed to these deep, dark nights of the soul where she despaired even of the existence of God, much less whether or not he cared and acted in our lives. C.S. Lewis, arguably the greatest defender of the Christian faith of the last 500 years, C.S. Lewis came to faith in Christ late in his life, but even after turning to Christ, he confessed to incredible doubt, particularly after the death of his wife from cancer. In his book, A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis wrote the following. He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you were merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? I think Lewis captures this idea of doubt fueling faith perfectly. And it's not just C.S. Lewis. It's not just Mother Teresa. I have close, close personal friends that I have waded through deep grief and the loss of a child with my own life. I've been through seasons of betrayal and I've wondered, is God really, really there? I don't know anyone who has trafficked in faith over any period of time who has not genuinely experienced Doubt. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor, and, and as an expression of Christian love and charity, tell them with a smile on your face, doubt's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Not everybody believes that. <laughs> it's so interesting to me. There, there's a part of us that's kind of like, especially maybe because we're here in church today or we're watching online, where we're kind of like, I, I feel like maybe I'm not being religious enough if I say doubt's okay. But here's the thing you have to understand about doubt. Doubt always lies at the center of faith. There's no such thing as faith without doubt. Doubt is required for faith. If there's no doubt, if you have absolute and complete certainty, let's just say that you, let's just say that we are certain that two plus two equals four, okay? One, two, three, four. I'm certain of that. Unless you're in a philosophy class at the University of Texas, two plus two equals four. That's knowledge. But I have faith that that Julie is going to stay married to me this week. Now, that's a faith that is rooted in fact. We've got 30 years of track record. I, I feel like she's a woman of her word. I know that she loves the Lord more than she loves me. I know that that gives her a certain amount of patience to live with me. So I, I feel pretty good about the next week based on facts, but I don't know. I don't know that we're going to be married next Saturday. I think so, but I don't know it. How many of you don't know you're going to be married next Saturday? Can I just see a show of hands? Listen, a little bit of doubt keeps you honest, doesn't it? Kind of keeps you on your toes a little. Abraham, or Abram as he's still known in Genesis chapter 15, is in exactly one of these moments in his relationship with God. And and I want to tell you from the very jump that doubt is in fact okay. Now, it's important that we keep doubt in its place, It's important and and even mission critical that we remember doubt is not the final word. But within context, doubt is okay. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to start with verse 1. Genesis 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram, who would become Abraham, Abram in a vision and said to him, do not Be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now, wouldn't that be great just to stop right there? Do not be afraid, for your reward will be great. I mean, I'm just sign off on that right now. But look at what Abram did. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. If you or I were writing the Bible, we would not have put these verses in the Bible. You're not gonna put somebody in the Bible to tell the story of God who doubts God. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't mind putting that in the book? Isn't it interesting that God actually invites the doubting? God invites it because doubting reveals engaging. If, If you doubt somebody, you're at least engaging with them. If somebody lies to you and you know that they're lying to you, let's say, for example, Let's say, for example, you're flying, I don't know, American Airlines. And American Airlines hypothetically cancels the flight on you for no reason and with no explanation and no apology. I'm just picking something out of the air. (laughs) Out of the air. So the ticket agent that you go to talk to to try and get home says the flight is canceled. Okay. I paid you money for the ticket. You promised to get me home. The flight is canceled. There are mechanical issues that may be true, and that may not be true. You don't know. The, flight, the the ticket agent, bless her heart, she's just spouting what she's been told to spout. She, she's just doing what this conglomerate of deceit has told her to do. And she needs a job. So she's going to do it. But but you don't know, is it mechanical issues? You don't know, did the pilot oversleep? Is the plane still in the hangar and nobody's fueled it up? You don't know. But you you just have to take it. In a relationship with God, you can engage with your doubt. What Abram does here Abram, who would become Abraham as God changed his name. This moment in Genesis chapter 15 is one of the primary pivot points in all of Scripture. I don't just mean in Abraham's life, but I mean in the entire scope and sweep of God's interacting with humanity. In God's redemptive work of humanity, Genesis chapter 15 is what's referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. This is when God, king of kings, lord of lords, creator of everything, God obligates himself to a person. God enters into covenant relationship and in and through this covenant relationship promises to bless not only Abram but literally all of humanity. This is the power of doubt. It is out of the doubt that the covenant is born. And so the first thing that you see Abraham teaching us and the lesson here is that when we go through doubt, when we go through despair, trust the Father more than the feelings. Trust the Father more than the Feelings. How many of us know firsthand, not because of books that we've read, how many of us know that our feelings are liars? Now, our feelings are real. I'm not, I'm not minimized. I'm not telling you ignore your feelings, but I am saying trust the father more than the feelings. We have to process our emotions. We have to deal with them. Jesus did this on a regular basis. What do we see about Jesus? Jesus celebrated at weddings. He, he cried when Lazarus died. He grieved, he was angry when people prostituted the temple of God for financial gain. Jesus was a person who was emotionally hyper aware and authentic, but he always trusted the Father and expressed and processed the feelings perfectly. You and I don't have that luxury. Turn to your neighbor and tell him with a smile, you ain't God. Some of y'all enjoyed that a little too much. But what that means is that we don't always process our feelings perfectly. Abraham was in one of these dark nights of the soul. He was doubting God. He said, God, you keep promising blessings and here I am childless. You've told me you will give me descendants as many as the stars are in the heavens. I'm a hundred years old, childless. I don't even know if I want a child right now. <laughs> and and, he, and he, he's so specific with God. He says, God, you've made these promises. And, and as it stands right now, if I were to get hit by a runaway camel, Eleazar, my servant would inherit all of my wealth. Where's the legacy in that? And it's in this moment that God speaks into me. He goes, no, Abram, you, you don't get it. He goes, I, I'm going to do something that you can't even imagine. He goes, yeah, you will have an heir of your own. You're 100. Sarah's 90. Watch this. But first, I want you to walk outside and look at the stars. I, I want you to look up into the heavens. There are about 30,000 named stars in our sky, and some untold millions more than that that have not been identified. God says, just, just, just for funsies, start counting. Just start counting, Abram. Yeah, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Can't. God says, I know. That's how many descendants you will have. And not only will it be a blessing for you and your family, your family will be the source of blessing for the entire world. Now, you and I know some 4,000 years after Abraham lived that God was talking about culminating the blessing in Christ, culminating this covenant in Christ. But all Abram had to do was look at the stars, and it says that he believed God. Think about this. Abram was the first in his family, the first in his line to interact with God. Abraham's father, Terah, had been a polytheistic Bedouin nomad, wandering with his herds. Abraham had been plucked out of obscurity by God himself and said, this is the now source of the blessing for the world that will culminate in Christ. Abraham didn't do anything. He didn't earn the blessing. It was an act of grace. And because of the grace of God, Abraham chose to trust the Father more than the feelings. Trust the Father more than the feelings. You may be the first person in your family of origin who's ever chosen to follow Christ. You you may be wondering, can I I do this? I I don't have a role model. I didn't see my dad pray. I didn't see my mom be a part of the church. I I didn't see this happen. So I, I don't, listen, follow the father more than the feelings. Trust the father more than the feelings. You can do this, not because of who you are, but because of who God is, and then, therefore, who he says you are. And he says that you were created in the image of God and called to a life of purpose and meaning and significance. Trust that when the feelings don't line up. And then God says something to Abraham that is going to land a little strange for our 21st century eyes and ears. Watch this. Verse 9, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. Those of you raised in the city, that's a cow. (laughs) A three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. What Abraham is doing here is what was at the time a customary event in this culture called cutting a covenant. If you and I were to enter into a covenant agreement over a sale of land or sharing of wells or whatever it might have been, we would take an animal, we would kill the animal and then split the animal in two parts, you on that side, me on this side. And then we would walk through the halves of the animal in a figure eight, walking through both halves, and obviously stepping into the blood of the animal. You you gotta remember too, you and I are 21st century contemporary folks. We are soft. This was a harsh environment. This was a tough world at the time. I mean, you were literally fighting for survival, not just to, to prosper and flourish, but just to live. And so killing animals, they were used to this. It was part of how they lived. But what happened was, as you walked through these two halves of the animal in a figure eight, your feet trailed the blood of the animals. And the statement was, if I don't live up to my side of the covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. This was a blood oath covenant that now... Abraham is preparing with God but all Abraham did was bring the heifer the goat and the ram he just brought them cut them in two and then sat there for a second Abraham did not walk through them look at what happens verses 12 through 16 now as the sun was going down Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a Terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. So God is explaining to Abraham what will happen to his descendants in Egypt. Remember Moses, 10 commandments, the staff plagues over Egypt, parting the Red Sea, walking through 40 years in the wilderness on their way to Canaan. That is the fulfillment of this covenant being made in Genesis chapter 15. It's fascinating to me that God takes the sin of Egypt, the sin of the Amorites, and in the fullness of time when they have exhausted the patience of God, when they have exhausted their own evil and immorality, then God brings judgment on them to affect his purposes for his people. You see this this sovereignty of God working throughout history, throughout time, God is telling Abram here, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Now, on the way, there are going to be some speed bumps. As a matter of fact, your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years. We know from Exodus that it was actually about 430 years in particular. But that it was through that experience that God was preparing and and blessing and flourishing Israel to become a great nation so that they could occupy the promised land that God was promising here to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, 400 years before it ever happened. And, and Abram is taking all of this in. Verse 17, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day, and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. So in this terrifying darkness, Abram has a vision and sees a smoking fire pot passing through the halves of the carcasses that he had brought to God. God obligated himself. Abram brought nothing to the table. Think about that. If you enter into a contract with somebody, it's because you believe you can do something mutually beneficial. It's a a win-win, hopefully, if you're ethical. But here God obligates himself only relying on Abraham's faith. Isn't that amazing? Even in the beginning of this Abrahamic covenant, Abraham did nothing. What? Nothing. Now, do this for me. Turn to your neighbor again and tell him, you can't do nothing. I don't mean in life in general. But I do mean to earn the favor of God. Do you understand the freedom and the liberation that comes from that? You can't earn the grace of God. You can't earn the grace of God. He gives it freely. He gives it as an expression of his character and his nature. And whatever you want to believe about God, start with this. God is love. He's love. So, on your best day on the day that you are the closest to mother teresa you can't earn the favor of god he's already given it in his son jesus christ he's already given it so so when you go through those those dark nights of the soul through those those seasons of doubt cling to the covenant in the darkness Hang on, cling to the covenant. Remember this promise of God. Romans chapter eight, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can, that's the truth. That's that's trusting the Father more than the feelings. That's clinging to this covenant. Now you may be thinking, well, God made the covenant with Abraham. Abraham. I mean, I'm not Jewish. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not Hebrew or Israeli. I want you to look at Acts chapter number three, verse 25. Acts 3, 25. This is the apostle Peter, who by the way was Jewish, preaching in the early New Testament church. He says, you are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all families on earth will be blessed. As a follower of Christ, the Bible tells us that we have been grafted into the branch of Israel. We we have been made a part of the family tree of Abraham if we trust the father more than the feelings. So God does it. God accomplishes what, what he wants to accomplish But that doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility in our response. God does it, period, hard stop. And in his grace, he invites us into this relationship. So that means that once we choose to trust him more than our feelings, more than ourselves, more than the world, then then we have the opportunity to assume our place as an heir to the covenant. We we just step into this role, this place as an heir to the covenant of Abraham. We're all a lot like Abraham. Before God gets a hold of us, we're all wandering nomads. We're all just kind of moving from spot to spot, thing to thing, fad to fad. But when God plucks us out of spiritual obscurity, out of spiritual lostness, out of spiritual death, and calls us into life, then we we assume our place as an heir to the king. Because of his grace. We assume our place and, and take our rightful role and responsibilities. I want to ask you to bow your head for just a moment. And, and in this moment, I've I got to ask you the question. Have you, Have you taken your place as an heir to the covenant? I mean, have you personally and definitively received what Christ did for you on the cross? And appropriated it, made it your own, personally, definitively. Because remember, just being a good guy or a good girl doesn't cut it. None of us is good enough on our own. None of us gets there by ourselves. God has cut a covenant for us and invited us into it. A covenant that costs the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. A covenant that satisfies every requirement for justice, for forgiveness, for peace, and for wholeness. If you've never personally and definitively stepped into that, why not right now? Why not just right where you're sitting, begin with a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender? Just silently talk to God and say something like this Jesus, I believe that you are the culmination of the covenant of grace and peace. I believe that you died on the cross in my place, taking my sin on yourself. And I choose to believe that you rose from the dead with the offer, with the promise of a new life for me. And in this moment, I accept. Lord, I walk in this covenant cutting prayer and I give you my life. I will follow you from this moment forward because I trust you for the forgiveness of sin and the security of eternal life. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. For just a second, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a As a church family, we wanna help with the moments that follow. In just a minute, we'll kind of tell you how that process happens and how you can be a part of that. But right now, I just wanna ask you if you would, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? If you just prayed that prayer of commitment for the first time in your life and you meant it, know that we celebrate that and we honor it with you. And as a family, As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.